Hello and welcome to the Downton Gabby Off Season. This is our third podcast, a bit of a bonus podcast because we had the Mad Men finale, we had um, the wonderfully feminist Mad Max come out, and we also had the much debated Sansa storyline. Lots to discuss, so we are doing our podcast a little bit early. We do have some Downton news and a way to connect Mad Max to Downton Abbey. I'm Shannon in Oakland. I'm Brandy in Los Angeles. And I'm Teresa in Brooklyn. So guys, I have our vacation home planned. All we need to do is just maybe have a little Kickstarter to make $6.2 million. And we can buy the house that doubles as the Dowager Countess's house in Down Abbey. All right, but who gets to play the Dowager? Who gets to play Violet? And who gets to play Sprat? I mean, I think we'll have to take turns. Okay. Well, I think that we should we should like create a fantasy Downton Land there for people yes. who can't afford to go to the Highclere Castle because that's very expensive. So we could do a cut rate Dowager Downton Land for all of you. Uh, you will have to like help serve serve at dinner and things like that, but. <laughs> That's Only cool, if right? I get to be Sprat. You will have to make a broth as your entry fee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that idea. Like, have you guys seen the movie Austin Land? Yes, that's what I was thinking of. Exactly. Yeah, like that movie's so cute and fun, and it does kind of make me want to do something like that. Like, just to fully nerd out. Mm-hmm. Everyone gets to role play. I'm going to be Mrs. Bird. <laughs> I will leave in disgust when one of our guests shows up as a as a prostitute. A I probably I'll try prostitute. not to. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there you go. We'll we'll restage the Isabel and Dicky scenes. Like I know a lot of them take place in her house, but there's some key moments at the Dowager's house, and we'll make them go the way we want them to go. Yeah, instead. absolutely. Mm. And we're not inviting Doctor Clarkson. <laughs> oh, poor Doctor Clarkson. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. He can. He can come if he wants. He can only come if Lady Shackleton is also coming. Lady Shackleton. Absolutely. I'm sad this isn't real. This sounds so fun. <laughs> no. Okay, well, it's only $6.2 million. Okay. Oh, okay. I mean, Easy. I feel like people out there, if you want to pitch in, if we have any secret millionaire fans, come on. Yeah, let's do this, people. <laughs> I'm setting up the Kickstarter right now. <laughs> Love it. Okay, so the other thing that happened this week, and I confess, I barely understand what this is. Apparently, Julian Fellows turned down a chance to go to the House of Lords instead to go to some sort of farm agricultural event, which sounds like turning down one kind of rich people to hang out with another kind of rich people. Mm. <gasps> but this was enough to make the news in England uh, that Julian was apparently... I don't know, being down to earth instead of going for the people who he supposedly is so interested in. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't understand it either. Like his quote is, it was the first time since I became a peer that we had a chance for Emma, my wife, to attend the chamber, but we said no, we would rather be at the show. So like, there's a lot of words in there where I'm like, I have a vague idea of what it means, but not really the significance within today's society. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know. When you say just the show, it makes me think like they went to the Westminster Dog Show. That's or exactly what I was thinking, the Westminster Dog Show. Well, which I also would much rather go to than the House of Lords. Quite right. Yeah. So, it, again, if we have any uh, British English fans out there who can um, let us know whether this is actually a, like such a snub that he can never go back or if it's just like whatevs, <laughs> I don't know. Is this like turning down Obama to go to the state fair? Or like, what is it? <laughs> These are all good questions. I hope some of our listeners can help enlighten us. Let us know on Twitter or Facebook, please, if you know the answer to this. So we didn't watch a movie that had Downton Abbey stars in it, because it's only been a few weeks. But we all were really excited to see Mad Max and... So we were thinking maybe on the next season, Tom Hardy might play a stable boy with a fond love for Thomas. Yeah. What do you think of that casting? I think that's good. I think that works very well for me. Oh, God. I think it's like the hottest thing I've ever heard of. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Brandy's already scribbling notes for her next fanfic piece. Yes. <laughs> oh, a crossover Cross fanfic. That would be awesome. Mm -hmm. Mad Max comes to Downton. Especially if he was kind of doing the Mad Max thing. He's so, like, gruff and silent. And then Thomas is always making his, like, wisecracks. I could just, like, they would be yin and yang. It would really go together. Yeah, we'd know who would be the top on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not make assumptions. It's hot either way. It is so. hot either. And you know what? I, I swear that Tom Hardy is Welsh, but you guys are insisting that he's actually English. All I'm saying is that IMDb says he was born in London. It's not the most reliable thing in the world. And also, like, he could have been born in London and then moved to Wales. I don't know. He's just got that Welsh thing just dripping off of him. But mm. I don't know. I don't um, know what that means, but it sounds hot. It is hot. Just trust me on this. It's very, very hot. Although Littlefinger is also, the, that actor, Aidan Gillen, is also Welsh. So I'm not sure oh. how this all works. But that, yeah, that's not hot. It's the voice. It's the voice. They have these okay. really great sort of intense voices. Like Richard Burton, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I'd fuck the guy who plays Littlefinger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just putting that out there. Yeah, I'm laughing so know. hard I'm not making any noise. He's just so <laughs> conniving. I don't know. I don't know. Well, have it's you seen a little bit of quality? Have you seen Aiden Gillen in anything other than uh, Game of Thrones? The Wire. And The Wire. Oh, which is wait. even worse than he's, he's even more yeah, conniving. He's even, he's even more weaselly in the Yeah, wire. you're right. Oh, God. I forgot that he was in The Wire. No, that's yeah, not Yeah, I think he might be no. kind of weaselly in life. I mean, you can't be that good at playing it. Although oh. everybody said Joffrey was so nice, which is just shocking because, God, mm -hmm. he played being a little dick real well. <laughs> but anyways, we digress. Mad Max. So the other thing we want for a Mad Max British actor is for Nicholas Holt to show up. We think he could be like a tutor for the kids. And then totally fall for Daisy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, he'd be primed to be exactly the kind of, like, social stratus that she needs to, like, move out of the manor and get out into the world. Totally. Go to those museums she wanted to go to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They could museum hard. Totally. Uh, by the way, I made a complete... 
horrible mistake about Aiden Gillen. He's actually Irish. So forget my whole theory. Oh, it's out no. the window. Never mind. Never mind. So Mad Max. <laughs> just gonna <laughs> keep <laughs> So you know, it's being heralded as this feminist action movie. What did you guys think? I think I wish that we could have this kind of movie and it would just be a movie and we wouldn't have to talk about how it's like super feminist. Because mm-hmm. I mean, it is in certain ways, but, like, I saw it a little late, so all the controversy had already been, or quote-unquote controversy of MRAs being like, oh, it's this feminist manifesto we were tricked into watching, blah, blah, blah. Like, I was expecting people to be, like, speechifying and all of this stuff, and all it is is really just, like, treating female characters with respect and giving them stuff to do. (laughs) Yeah, and seeing unconventional women do unconventional things, like a pregnant woman, you know, doing something other than just sitting there or, you know, old women doing anything but just sitting there. So um, it it felt more like representations of women that was super feminist and that the women died equally as much as the men. Yeah, I thought it was great, but I also thought it shows, like, how easy the bare minimum of being feminist is to reach. Yeah. Because, like, this was, like, not that hard for them to do at all. They still told the exact same story that they could have told with a man in um, Charlie Theron's role, as far as the action sequences went, at least. And that was that. And then the other thing people pointed out, um, which I do think is really great, is that even though the wives were obviously victims of sexual abuse, we didn't have to see any of that in yeah. order to believe believe them. We just like we just believed them, which is how everything should go in real life too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm really enjoying the new feminist Mad Max Tumblr. I don't know if you guys have seen this. No, it's all these the Hey Girl. Yeah, Hey Girl. Yeah, yeah like like there are all these pictures of of Max and uh, Furiosa. And this one is just Mad Max at the wheel. And it says, Hey girl, I don't need to see the pain and humiliation you suffered as a sex slave. I believe you. (laughs) But my favorite one is, Hey girl, you can use my shoulder as a rifle stand as you're the better shot of the two of us. Yeah. It's those little moments. And you know, you're totally right, Brandy, where it's like, we're just at the beginning of seeing these that it's those little moments that mean so much. Like when I saw mm-hmm. Edge of Tomorrow and Emily Blunt is driving the car and Tom Cruise is in the passenger seat, women never drive the car if there's right. a man in the car. And it's these yeah. little things that feel huge. And then, of course, these men rights activists, my favorite being Return of Kings. Cool name. Oh, those people are the worst. <laughs> oh. that, you know, they think that a whole revolution is going to start because, you know, a woman's a better shot. Maybe it will. I don't know. But I it, wish that was all it took. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have that revolution already. When is that happening? Yeah. Sign me up. Uh, Return of Kings. That are, oh. are, that's just a pathetic place, honestly. Um. But I I really enjoyed the movie. I really wasn't all that uh, really plugged into the sort of more feminist aspects for a lot of the film. I was just sort of like, wow, this is a really incredible action film. And then as it progressed mm-hmm. and progressed, I felt more and more like, oh, wait, I really haven't seen an action film like this before. Mm-hmm. This is pretty amazing, you know, just in the way how many women were cast in, in roles that pushed the action forward and how Max really kind of did take a literal backseat yeah, to, huh. to Furiosa 
And then when the older women showed up, I mean, they're pretty badass. You got to admit. Oh, they're they're yeah. very badass. I I was waiting for them, and I, I wish they had been in more of it. Yeah, that would be like my one criticism. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but I did see some interesting counter arguments that I definitely disagree with, but I think the conversation is worth having. That this is not really feminist because it's just putting women in the sort of violent patriarchal roles. And that's not really what feminism should be, like making women participate in this system that men have but they But they dismantle it at the end. I know. And I also just fundamentally disagree as a fan of action movies that violence on screen as entertainment is inherently something against feminism. I really think that that's very simplistic and wrong. Right, because we so. live in a violent world where violent things happen. So if you just put yeah. women in these, like, utopias... That's not going to really work. I think, I mean, I think it's, it's easy to think that way when we have not very many examples to be discussing. Like the answer to that for me is just more women in different kinds of stories in all the kinds of stories. It's the same as the like debate about quote unquote strong female characters. It doesn't mean just putting a sword in somebody's hands. It means well-rounded, complex stories about women that haven't been told yet in all kinds of different roles and different eras of history and different races, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's a huge thing that we still have to do and it's not going to be solved by one action movie, of course. Yeah. What I thought was really great about this film that I kind of touched on earlier is that the women died just as easily as the men. Cause I feel like sometimes when you have a woman in an action film, she's such a token woman in it that she's never killed or Mm-hmm. never harmed and it's like or the only way she is harmed is to drive the man into the final act so that he can get his revenge right instead of just like oh this is a world where there's strong women and strong men and they fight each other and you know none of them were like whoa you're a girl i can't hit you you know like no everybody's killing everyone because it seemed like some of that gender stereotypes have been broken down in this new world and I appreciated that Mm -hmm. have you Mm -hmm. have you guys read about the genesis of the screenplay and the final film film George Miller the director writer um wanted this story of these like sort of sex slave harems women being rescued and taken away and he decided that that would really only work if the person rescuing them was female because, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and because he made that one decision that the person rescuing these women had to be female, it then started a domino effect of all of these other decisions that got made from that. I hope there's just like a million male writers that are just writing that down right now. Yeah, just yeah. write that down. But so much so that even his, his editor, who's his wife, um, he asked his, his wife to edit the film because he wanted a woman to edit this film. And he thought, I think rightly, that it would be a very different look and feel to an action film yeah. to have her particularly because she hadn't done an action film before yeah, exactly. yet. and I will say like again as a fan of action films a lot of them in recent years have become you know they're they imitate the born identity fast cuts and they all do not that I don't love the born identity but it's like we don't all have to be the same like they have a sameness they're more about the kinetic energy than about the image and about mm-hmm. the feeling and so this was very refreshing for sure. And and it also got to be bombastic and crazy and weird. And it was just like nothing else I had seen before. And I mean, just, just as an, a side note to um, 
the questions of representation. I did see a post going around Tumblr tube um, thanking the movie for having an amputee character. Mm -hmm. I was going to say that. that. Many. There was many uh, disabled characters yeah, and, in the background, too, which I really appreciated. Right. And with no explanation, like, for all we know, Furiosa could have been born that way. You know? like Yeah. Um, and for having a prosthetic that looks functional and isn't just there to be, like, badass, but she could still kind of be badass with it. Yeah. You know? It's just like... It was a really nice balance to hit, and I can totally see why that would be refreshing for someone who's an amputee or otherwise disabled in real life to see. Like, yeah, it's just great. It, it's so again, like write this down, writers. It was so easy. It was just so fresh. Everything was so fresh. I mean, I'm really done with the Marvel movies. I'm done. There's nothing for me there. Everybody's like, oh, Joss Whedon doing Age of Ultron. No, it, who's surprised? It's the same old sexist shit. It's like that world yeah. has nothing for me as a woman, but this world, there was so much for me and I loved it. Yeah. Joss is a hard one for me because I'm, I like, I will be a diehard Buffy fan for my whole life. And yet every time I watch it, I see something else where I just kind of twinge a little bit and I'm like, oh, he wasn't as perfect as we thought he was. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, I do wish that he would break out and do something a little more independent and not just be part of this machine. But I'm kind of checked out of... I love superhero stuff. I'm really looking forward to Supergirl and stuff like that. But, like, I'm kind of checked out of the movies until Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel come along. I just... Mm. I, yeah, me I too. want something different. How do you feel about the Fantastic Four? Because I know that's coming soon. You know what? I'll see it just because Michael B. Jordan is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like Miles Teller a lot, too. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I just think the casting of that one makes it worth supporting. Yeah, I, I would agree, too. I just want to say one more thing about Mad Max, which is the other thing I really appreciated about this film, and not just because of all the gender dynamics we're talking about, but just in terms of screenwriting, is that, you know, sort of Max shows up. At first, he's just basically trying to see what, you know, how he can take over this rig to save his ass. And then sort of imperceptibly over time, he becomes one an ally. And mm -hmm. there's no big speech, there's no big confrontation, there's no big moment of awareness. It just happens, you know? A lesser movie would have had the moment where Furiosa is hanging off a cliff and Mad Max can let her drop, but he doesn't, you know? Like, right. it would have been so, so, so blatant. And this one, um, yeah, the subtlety of that shift was really fun to watch it's just more fun yeah it's yeah. just more interesting that is just easy and flowing like that you know what i bet that's what terrified return of king so then <laughs> oh man all these men bec could become feminist allies oh shit. without even noticing yeah and only because it actually makes their own lives better too what <laughs> no like it's just a giant allegory for the fact that feminism helps men too yeah <laughs> Exactly. Speaking of a very empowered female and in a, in a violent world, shall we go to the Sansa storyline, which many people felt the opposite? So, of course, the scene in question was Sansa's wedding night, or Sansa, which she's already had one of. Let's remember that did not end this terribly. Um, and... It, what happens is I feel like what we knew was going to happen for weeks and what she knew was going to happen and what was set up 
in her mind by the earlier scene in the episode where she makes a statement that nothing can scare her, which we know is, is not true, but good on her for putting on a front, right? And she goes into this uh, bedroom with Ramsey, and it's clear that, you know, he's going to rape her because it's their marriage night, and this marriage has to be consummated, and she's obviously not consenting in any sort of meaningful way, even though she said, I do. People who are going to argue that because she's married, she can't be raped, that's not a thing. And then the, the, the thing that I feel like pushed the scene towards what was um, causing a lot of the controversy was the fact that Theon was in the room watching this violation happen and that the camera was very interested in Theon's reaction. Right, and I think it's been really interesting since that, you know, we had the Cersei Jamie rape storyline of last year where I saw right. a lot of women very outraged, including myself. This time, I'm hearing a lot more men. There's something about how this rape was portrayed that is really hitting men more, where I didn't really hear these same people saying this about the Cersei storyline, and that's been really kind of surprising right. to me. Or the other significant rape we saw in season one, which was, of course, Danny with Cal Drogo before mm -hmm. their relationship evolved. Mm -hmm. Um... I will say that I am in the minority with this particular storyline where I was not enraged by the depiction. I think because it was set up in a way where I just, again, I felt like the, the consummation of this marriage was inevitable. And it was very unpleasant to watch. And I can definitely see an argument that it could have taken place off screen. But then again, in the next episode, we understand that, of course, it's been happening basically every night. And I'm glad we're, they're not showing it again. And yet, like, if they had never shown it, I don't know. Yeah. Her, I don't know. Her I, bruises to me in the second episode were almost more upsetting to me. Right. So it's kind of the same things we were saying about Mad Max. Like, we can believe it if it, even if we don't see it. So I think we could have, we could have put those pieces together in our head. I, I do agree that it didn't have to be shown. But as far as just feeling like this particular character... Like, people were angry that this particular character was violated. I guess it's the arguments against it were stuff like, well, it happens in the books, but to a different, lesser character. And I'm just like, that's, that's not an argument that flies for me. You can't say it's okay to happen if you don't care about the character. If it happens much, to Jane right? Poole, it's okay. If it happens to Sansa, yeah, Stark, that's it's not, not okay. that's not a thing for me, and particularly not a thing for people who are tying it in with the rape shouldn't never be part of entertainment. Uh, argument because I just those are contradictory to me contradictory arguments yeah and what Therese and I were talking about because we saw the episode together actually was that you know Sansa's virginity has been protected so many times you know in the show that I think you know and the focus on Theon's face I think a lot of men are I think are identifying of don't rape my virginal sister. Like there's some, right. there's some weird thing that's going on. That's really, uh, it's really touching the men more than most of the women I've talked to are like, right. well, yeah, a lot of women got raped on their yeah. marriage night. This well, isn't, this isn't new. Uh -huh. <laughs> that was, that was definitely what I thought of when I was watching it. Like that's the dread leading up to it going like looking at that marriage bed I'm sure for a lot of people it felt like sort of tantalizing like that's what they were trying to do but for me it didn't feel that way at all it was a moment for me to reflect on how normal this it's, actually it's is. completely normal. that a woman on her wedding night yeah is is about to be violated because she would never consent under any other circumstances 
Yeah, I was thinking that a, that a lot of the viewers like somehow didn't see this coming. And the fact that when a woman is married to a man, she becomes her property and he can do with her what he will. And the idea of marital rape is a very, very new concept, actually. Um, the people who didn't see this coming are, are either woefully ignorant about how these things work uh, in most uh, marriages in the universe um, and and also sort of thinking that she would just be saved again from mm -hmm. something. Right. And I did see the argument that she should have been able to save herself. Like, uh, wouldn't it have been awesome if she had turned around and just stabbed him? And I'm like, not really, because then Bruce Bolton just would have killed her, and then there's no more Sansa. Yeah. yeah. Like, if she wants to regain Winterfell, she has to have a long-term plan. It's not going to happen, you know, and obviously I, I was disappointed to see in episode two them continuing, uh, of this arc, episode two of this arc, her, them continuing to knock her down rather than have Theon try to help her, which I was hoping would be what why they were focusing on him so much, was that Ramsay would have overplayed his hand and now Theon would go back and kind of remember who he was and start helping Sansa. That still might happen. It still might happen, and it might be even better when it turns out to be Brienne who comes in and helps her. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm still hopeful because I feel like the character is still being um, focused on in a way that makes me feel like they're going somewhere with this. Right, because the other two rapes on the show are just like, oh, they happened and they're done. You know, uh, Danny falls in love with Khal Drogo. Okay, you know, that's definitely... Uh, I'm sure the Return of Kings loved that storyline. You know, <laughs> fall in love with your rapist. And then, you know, Cersei and Jamie, it's never discussed, and they still love each other, too. So I guess you always fall in love with your rapist, according to George R. R. Martin. Um, so, or that's, the that's producers. The, that's the sort of retrograde stuff that, that makes me a little bit crazy. But the other thing that I, I don't think people are giving Sansa credit for is just the idea that she knows this is happening. She is basically at war at this point, mm -hmm. and she is mm -hmm. uh, biding her time. She is going to have to play the long game on this. She knows what she's in for, and she's going to endure it like any other um, a prisoner, of war. prisoner of war. Yeah, I mean... Right, she is. I think that's a great way to put it, particularly because... What we know of the world and the fact that her brothers are alive and stuff like that, she doesn't know. She is in a place where she has literally nothing to lose. And I think a lot of writers at that point would have her just kill herself. Right. But she is still fighting. And that, to me, is compelling. Right. Well, and it was interesting. There was that article that we were talking about, um, you know, Game of Thrones versus Outlander. And there's a very different... Um, rape that happens in Outlander and you see the aftermath of it for a very long time and that she was making the um, argument that Game of Thrones never shows the aftermath so that's why we wanted to wait and see what the second episode was like and so we are seeing that aftermath we are seeing that you know the emotional fallout of it but also seeing that Sansa is surviving it mm -hmm. yeah this is this is a a a weirdly sort of really pro Sansa storyline. She is not a little tool of other people. She is not a naive, innocent girl anymore. She knows her role. She thinks she's the only Stark left. And mm -hmm. she's going to do what she has to do 
She did pick up a weapon in the last episode. I don't know if anybody noticed that. I know. <laughs> I was, and I thought, I was so afraid that they were going to do the thing where then Ramsey would have, like, magically seen it out of the back of his head and been like, mm-hmm. ah, 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 my pretty, what is this? And when they didn't do that, I was like, thank God, because this has to be going somewhere. And showing Brienne still out there waiting, like, it just has to be going somewhere. And I particularly feel desperately about that because there's, like, seven other characters that are also in prison right now. Yeah. <laughs> and we are just, like, every storyline you flash to is about someone who's in prison. I'm like, <laughs> we got to get out of this, guys. we got to get out of these cells. We need a little sunshine. <laughs> just a little bit of yeah. sunshine. Um, there is one more aspect to this that I really wanted to address, um, which is a lot of people are like, why are you complaining about this rape and you're not complaining about all these people being beheaded and burned alive and all of this stuff, which was, I thought, an interesting conversation, which um, IndieWire took up and basically said that in the world of fantasy, uh, these things happen to people. But in real life, people do not get burned and eaten by dragons or, you know, beheaded in their day to day existence. Uh, But they do get sexually assaulted all the time. Whether it's by strangers, whether it's by their spouses, uh, this is a real thing. This doesn't just happen in George Martin's fantasy world. This happens in the real world. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this is a a very real event that many people can really and truly relate to. And it just needs to be treated and thought about differently than yet another of Daenerys's cronies getting, you know, barbecued, basically. Yeah, I mean, I was depressed to see that that girl Emma at Columbia University graduated still carrying her mattress mm-hmm. because nothing's been done. Right. Well, I mean, and good for her because she had said that it was both a protest and an art project and she was going to do it anyway. And, and she did uh, it. Yeah, she did it. And she's going to go on to be a very interesting person again. Like, it's a sign of strength and survival in some ways, right? Well, I think there's also, you know, when there's this outcry for men and the protecting the virginal sister, part of me as a woman who has friends who are rape victims is like, can we take a moment and honor the inner strength of, you know, people who are victims of rape who who overcome it, who find the strength? I mean, women are fucking strong. Right. And, and let's honor we, that too. And can we talk about what is potentially problematic or not with rape storylines without fetishizing virginity? Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yes. Did, did someone say virginity? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hanging out with you has taught me a thing or two. Uh-huh. That's <laughs> <So>. nice. <laughs> well, this makes me think of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt because you were talking about how oh, women are yeah. strong, damn it, which is the, you know, opening song. They love, damn it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the jolliest show about a survivor of sexual assault ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. But um, she is constantly uh, having flashbacks and PTSD, and um, mm-hmm. it doesn't even go away. And this is, a, you know, a comedy. It's a weird comedy, but, I mean, it's always there. I have a lot of feelings about Kimmy Schmidt. I've had a lot of conversations about what works in it, mm-hmm. what doesn't, yeah. what's funny, what's not. It's just like, it's a thing that even though I have some issues with it, I'm very glad it's out in the world being talked about. Yeah, I think it's they're, they're taking a lot of risks, and it, some, some of it works and some of it doesn't. But I, I too, am very glad it's out there. And uh, I'm looking forward to the next season to see where they, where they go with it. 
Tina Fey's weird, and I really appreciate how weird she is. I really do. Yeah. And if NBC can't handle it, then all the better for <laughs> Netflix. Damn it. Mm-hmm. Damn it. <laughs> Speaking of rape victims who ended up on top of the world, how about that Joan in the Madison <laughs> How about that nice segue? segue. <laughs> I love that her story was like, fuck men, I don't need them. Start my when lady When has business. she ever, right? Seriously. Oh, so where where do we begin with with uh, the Mad Men oh, season finale, God. a show that we have been following and talking about for years? Uh, it it was a weird experience watching the final episode. You always go into a finale with like such a kernel of fear that they're about to like do something that is gonna. I don't really believe that a finale contained the whole rest of the show, but you know, something that's just not going to honor the characters in the way that you want it to. Mm -hmm. And this one, I felt like it was a little surprising to me how traditional it was. Yeah. Um, just kind of wrapping up storylines here and there, considering this is the show that gave us episodes like Faraway Places. I mean, <laughs> um, some of the best maybe... drug sequences I've ever seen on the yeah. show. I mean, Ken yeah. tap dancing will live in my heart forever. It's a top 10 moment. Um, but I found it really satisfying overall, even though, as, I mean, the eternal critique of the show, we could spend less time with Don's ennui. Yeah. <laughs> Who gives a shit? And his brunettes of death. Although I did kind of love the Leonard scene. I did kind of love that. I just wish you could have gotten to it twice as fast. So. Yeah. So what did you guys think about Peggy and Stan? I mean, we know Teresa's okay. in love with Stan. I've, I'm really, I'm, like I'm in love with Stan. I mean, he's the best. Well, I have to say that I was in uh, Shannon's uh, little TV den watching <laughs> yeah. Mad Men with her and another some other friends. And when the whole Stan and Peggy thing were, was happening, we were all like weeping and clutching each other. Yeah, it was three girls on the couch and we all just came together <laughs> in this hug, like squeals and tears. It was adorable. Yeah, we were. I, here's... Here's how much I, like, didn't trust the um, traditional tone of this finale is that when he said that, I was, like, and she started being, like, oh, I think I love you, too. I was, like, I thought he was going to be fucking with her. I really mm. did. I thought it was going to be, like, a revenge joke for how mean she was in, like, some other episode. <laughs> when it turned out to be real, I almost had to, like, go back and watch it again because I just couldn't really process I had to watch it um, more than once because the first time I was just sort of overwhelmed with joy, basically. And then I watched it again. I think, Shannon, you and I watched it again. Mm -hmm. And I was watching the Stan's end of the phone conversation thing. And there is a moment there where the tone sort of shifts into, like, real rom-com tone. Mm -hmm. and, that they, and it lost me a little bit. Like, I didn't think that it actually played out all that true to the tone of Mad Men. Something, right. like, I expected Jennifer Aniston or Katherine Heigl to wander in at some point. <laughs> so I, I, I was very, very happy about this. But I did think that's, that at some point, like, can I say this? All the writers got their periods at the same time. And, <laughs> and some, it, was, it was very reminiscent to me, unfortunately, and this isn't bode well, of Dawn proposing to Megan. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, that's that a was a total rom-com moment too. You know? Right, it's just so. a milkshake. 
<laughs> I'll never it's forget that. It's just a little chick. Like, the more Mad Men version of Peggy and Stan would have been them getting drunk and high in the office, screwing, waking up the next morning, and then being like, you know what? Actually, that was okay? Question mark? Yeah. <laughs> and I like you. Now? Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I do yeah. like you. I don't know if they're going to be together forever. But I think they're right for right now. And I do think it makes sense for Peggy's arc to end on admitting that she loves someone. Because she's one of the most emotionally guarded characters on the entire show. I don't know if we've ever heard her say, I love you. No, but she's tried, right? Like, she's real. She's had so many relationships with, like, Pete, with Abe, with Duck, with whatever, with Devin Sawa, who we didn't never saw, or Devin Gummersall, who we didn't see come back. Thank what goodness. if Devin Sawa and Devin Gummersall were on this season? I would have died. <laughs> and um, with but, that yeah. guy, that was she engaged to him and she never showed up at the restaurant where he was with her right, parents? Right, right, right. He was going to propose. He was going to propose and she never yeah. showed up. It was the suitcase. She spent the whole yeah. night with John. Uh-huh. Right. Possibly my favorite episode of TV ever. Right. So, right. no, I was really happy. So she's had multiple relationships, more relationships than we've had seasons. Mm-hmm. And not, but you're right. None of them have been one where she was willing to let down her guard. And the thing about Stan is she already has multiple times. He has seen the worst of her and he still loves her. Yeah. So. Well, good for them. I'm glad Peg- Peggy and Stan got that nice ending. Um, yes. And as far as the, the idea of Harris Olsen and then having it snatched away, I do think it's right for Peggy to stay there and to dominate yeah. the man's world. I do think that's a core arc for her. Mm-hmm. And I do think it's right for Joan to go on her own and hearing her like repurpose her maiden name was also very empowering to me. Yeah. So it, it ended well. I think they'll be allies going forward no matter what. But honestly, the idea of them as full-fledged partners, they've never been that close. No, no, no. Yeah, that was just a total, like, fanfic scene. I mean, while we're watching <laughs> them at lunch together, Therese just goes, I think Matthew Reiner's been reading my diary. And that's totally how it felt. <laughs> yeah. Know? But it was like, this isn't realistic, but thank you. I'll take it. Thank you. But that last scene where Joan is in her apartment and she's got her, her calendar up there and her babysitter is now, like, her secretary and... That was fantastic. Oh, so great. Yeah, really, really satisfying. You know what's interesting that I kept thinking about was um, in one of Tom and Lorenzo's Mad Styles of how they were like, why have they never updated Joan's apartment? This is the same apartment she's had since season one. That seems so out of character for Mm -hmm. her. And it's like some reason stuck in my head. And I don't think it's out of character for her. I think it makes sense for her to spend a lot of money on her clothes because it's how she presents to the world, and she has this just, she doesn't invite a lot of people over to her apartment, so it's mainly this great group, and it's like, well, this is comfortable, this is fine, I don't need to change it, and I'll spend my money in other ways, so I don't know, that made sense to me. Yeah, it's interesting, and she's she's still living in the village, um, I don't know. I guess because people assume, like, that's where she was married, and that didn't work out, and He was never there, though. I know. I, I just think that the normal thing for female characters to sort of toss off all of her old life when a relationship doesn't work out. Mm. And it, it's kind of nice to know that Joan was strong enough to not have to have a new apartment to forget him. Totally. You know? She's not um, Jane. Yeah. She didn't need a, new, a whole new apartment when Roger jumped her or whatever, you know? Yeah. She just, she just grieves briefly and then moves on awesomer than before. 
Well, and talk about a good handling of the aftermath of a rape scene because I don't remember how many seasons it was from when he raped her and then she finally says, you're not a good man. You've never been a good man and you know what I mean. But I have never cheered louder yeah, in a scene. I've never forgotten that moment. Yeah, yeah. it was... Because it was, I was getting uncomfortable of like, are the writers just going to act like this didn't happen? But then to see that scene and then the mention of it in the finale of like, oh no, he's just an asshole, you know, whatever, you know, and it's just, it's just so great to see that it's like, yeah, she's over it. And you know what? She's starting her own fucking business. Mad Men has been really good. And I think for some reason, particularly with the female characters of having those painful moments crop up later. Mm -hmm. To remind you that they're not forgotten. Whether it is Joan and the rape, Peggy and the baby, mm -hmm. then we got Betty and the cancer scare, which was a big deal for her two seasons ago, and then turned out to be real this time. I mean, yeah. and they don't always go the same, they don't always go well when the pain crops up again, but it's interesting to me the way that they have played the long game with the emotions of the female characters. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I don't know if we would have ever gotten that moment of Betty saying, I love you, even if it's via card, unless she was dying. Right. Right. Yeah. On a happier note, I think one of my very favorite scenes in that whole episode was the Campbells getting out of yes. the car to get on the Learjet. Oh, yes. I mean, that was just yes. unbelievable. I do think that, I mean... There we ha there's a little ambiguity with the end of Dawn storyline, which I think is telling that we're not really interested in discussing that. Well, yeah, we, we will, we will. But uh, I think the the balance of these happy storylines, like the Campbells heading off to Wichita, like Stan and Peggy, etc. Um, you had to have that. I I had to have that to deal with Betty. Um, yeah. And maybe other people don't feel that way because they never liked Betty, but you know, all of us have always been on Team Betty. And I feel like she was evolving so much that now, like, you know, to, she was going to go back to school, blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. I don't feel like it's cheap to kill her just because the idea of cigarettes and the immortality and not being able to plan your life have been, like, so core to this show. But it was so sad to me that I don't think I could handle another sad storyline in the mix. It was right. only that one that I could handle. I would yeah. I would say I would venture to say that the storylines were were all pretty happy but left open all kinds of things blowing up in their faces. We already know what their flaws are gonna be, so we know they're gonna crop up again. So yeah, it's like happy for now. Right. And because each of them is taking a huge risk, whether it's in business or romance or moving your entire life to a new place, you know, I, I do feel like there's, there's not, it's not implied that no one's going to make it, but like, we know this show, we know that it's about cycles of people failing and surviving and then building very slowly to mm -hmm. new things, not all of a sudden being able to leap into them. So I can imagine a season eight where Joan's business is struggling and she has to deal with that and Peggy and Stan are fighting and all that. I can imagine all of that very easily. Definitely. Oh, and, um, and Pete can't get a decent bagel in Wichita. <laughs> Someone should just make a web series. Remember when Pete's mom fell overboard Oh, and disappeared? <laughs> The show is so I wacky. Love, 
I mean, 95% of everything to do with Pete I have loved. I could do without the part where he assaulted the au pair. Yeah. But, like, yeah. one of the biggest missteps the show has ever done, because I think it was very, even very out of character for him. Mm-hmm. But, uh, what a... What a weird creature Pete Campbell is. And so fascinating, so funny, but, like, his evolution is really interesting to me, too. That scene where he's, like, telling his brother not to cheat on his wife anymore. I was like, damn, Pete has been doing some stealth growth in the last couple seasons. True. Well, and he gave us the best line in probably Mad Men history. Not great, Bob. <laughs> not great. <laughs> That is the best line of ever. I love seeing TV critics on Twitter just do like hashtag not great Bob when they're talking about yeah, something that has nothing time. even related. So should we talk about Dawn? I don't have anything to say. Well, okay, let's talk Why? about. Well, okay, so the big the big question directly after the show ended was, what the fuck just happened with that Coke commercial? Right. And I think, yeah. right, well, which didn't feel like a surprise to me because I had seen all of the predictions about it over the internet, which is one of the bad things about the internet, and it made me wish I had abstained from the internet a little bit more, because I actually thought it was very clever, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was kind of a shame that it had been quote-unquote spoiled for me by the people at Vox or whatever who had predicted it, mm-hmm. so... Well, I think um, I think that my favorite thing. I mean, it seems pretty clear to me that he came up with the idea for the commercial, and then that's the commercial. Obviously, because of the clue in the two different women with their red ribbons uh, Mm -hmm. braided into their hair in the commercial, just like the lady who very obviously had the same hairdo at the front desk of the retreat. It's not subtle. No, it's not subtle at all. So anyone who's still kind of pondering is really not paying attention. But the thing I love, and this is, like, kudos to Tom and Lorenzo, they were pointing out all the people wearing red and white in Mm -hmm, that show. mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, every single scene had somebody wearing red and white. It was kind of amazing, including that dude in the red jumpsuit. Yeah, yeah. Which looked so ridiculous, and then as soon as you see it in the context of all the other red and white clothing clues... It's kind of hilarious. He's wearing a red jumpsuit. Where is Jeannie Bryant going to work now? I know. Where is she? Really. You need to follow her career. I know. Where is she going to work? Because she's the most brilliant costume designer ever. And, you know, as much as I'm going to miss Mad Men, I'm going to miss Mad Style. Oh, very yeah. much. Yeah. Tom and Lorenzo's analysis of that show was poetic. I mean, honestly, I have never seen such an interesting analysis of a TV show. It's so different. It's so out there. I loved it. And spot on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I know that after a while, like, um, they would be talking with her and she would be, like, confirming things for them. And, yeah. Um, you know, there was a whole dialogue going on. So, yeah, I don't know where she's going to go next, but this is, I think, her, her great masterpiece of costuming. What's what's up next for her is not costume design. She joined handbag line Corette as a brand envoy. And she's oh. even shopping around a reality show. That's bummer. Mm. She'll probably make a lot of money. Yeah. But we won't have anything to talk about. Giving, I don't giving give a up, shit about handbags. Giving up art for commerce and reality TV. She'll go back. She'll go back. Mm-hmm. She has a, a, a line of uh, hosiery, leg couture. 
Mm. Which is interesting. Janie Bryant Leg Couture. That is, I swear to God, what it's called. All right. So we have a few, we have three more episodes of Game of Thrones. Um, and then we're kind of in the summer slump, although there's still shows that are coming out because <laughs> that doesn't really exist much anymore. But what are you guys going to be binge watching or catching up on over the summer? I've been catching up on season three of Orphan Black, which I'm really yeah, enjoying. I was going to say... I was going to say the same thing. I've only watched the first two episodes, and I'm sort of re-enjoying it with... I'm trying not to stress if I don't really understand what's going on and just enjoy the ride, and that seems to be working so far. So. <laughs> All right. Well, I just started watching Empire. I watched like six episodes over two days, and it's as good as everyone says, and Cookie is a masterpiece of a character and it's required viewing for both of you because okay. we need to talk about it. Okay. How many shows in a season? 23? No. Okay. Mm -hmm. I think it's like 12 or 13. You know, I don't roll that way. <laughs> I know you don't, <laughs> okay. but I, I was just, it's kind of like we're talking to Mad Max where I'm like constantly like, Oh my God, they're having her do that. They're having her say that. It's just like blowing my mind how she's breaking so many stereotypes of a woman a black woman an ex-con a mother everything like she's just so original and I feel like she's everything that Shonda Rhimes is trying to do but way more fully realized mm, big talk nice yeah well I haven't finished the season so maybe I'll regret that but right now I am constantly impressed also the costumes hello are amazing well, I mean I haven't watched Empire other than the pilot, which I was a little too drunk watching it to remember it later. I was with uh, you, yes. <laughs> I had to rewatch it. But I think the thing that you're the thing you said about Cookie being a mother, like a, a lot of the black characters in on in Shonda Rhimes' uh, shows are not mothers. Mm, that or is fathers. true. That's a big um, difference. Bailey on Grey's Anatomy does have a son who I don't think has even been on screen for the last like three or four seasons. Um, it's just, it's a part of the point of that show is showing that someone can be a mom and not have it define their life. Totally. So that's why it's not a core of that. So I feel like exploring that in the context of like a business oriented show, this record company. And but diving a little deeper into that, that intrigues me. Well, and it's interesting because she was in jail for most of her children's lives. Mm -hmm. And so she's fighting for that role as their mother. And they each have very different reactions to it, which I think is pretty damn smart. Like they're not all embracing her and they're not all doing that or not for the same reasons. Like it, it's soapy for sure. The music, like the background music is a little much sometimes, but there's some damn good writing in there. And they took they took the time to not be like, these two women hate each other. It's like, no, they're really different. Like, no yeah. way would they ever be friends. Just like Joan and Peggy. There's no way they would be friends. It's a queen bee and the nerd. They're not going to. They don't exist in the same world. And I feel like there's similar smart decisions being made in Empire that feels really refreshing. Um, also, it's just a great spectacle. So it's just like a great show to just have a glass of wine and watch. I'm also trying to finish the first season of Outlander, which I'm a little behind on right now. Me too. So I'm going to get that done 
um, if you've read the first book, you know that it is uh, difficult. So yeah, I know. I think that's why I'm kind of avoiding it. I'm like waiting till they get to the second book where it like gets fun again. <laughs> <laughs> you know what is fun though? Not not fantastic, but kind of fantastic in some ways, but fun is um, I did binge all of Grace and Frankie on Netflix. Oh, yeah. And it is, it's clunky in parts, for sure. But, like, as far as seeing two women of a certain age going about this adventure that is uh, a really, it's really interesting because they're not necessarily friends with each other and their relationship to each other is the, the important arc of the storyline, not necessarily each of them recovering from their husbands leaving them, although that is important too, and their families' arcs are important too. I don't know. I just found it very, very watchable. I totally appreciate Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin's performances, even when their characters go a little too far towards stereotype of the, like, waspy woman and the hippie woman. And I, I just, I guess I'm, I was really happy to see that it was renewed for season two this week because I feel like no one else is telling this kind of story about people in their 70s and there should absolutely be a place for it. All right. All right. I will, uh, I it's will, fun. I will, I saw the pilot also. I will return to it. it. It's another one that grows with each episode. You get more invested with each episode and. I don't know, like, I watched it, I watched most of it, like, one day when I was just a little hungover and kind of tired and just, like, lounging in bed with my laptop, and that was perfect. Okay. <laughs> All right. So those are our, well, I'll check that our out. recommendations. All right. Well, we will see you sometime in June, where we will be talking about what we're watching. Um, some of us will catch up on these shows that the others are watching. <laughs> we'll also find another great movie. Um, with someone from the Downton Abbey cast. I think we've watched all of Julian Fellow's movies. <laughs> so we'll be switching That have Downton Abbey people in it. We could watch that weird Romeo and Juliet. Oh, all right. That might be next. We'll let you guys know on Twitter for sure. <laughs> yeah, and, and let us know on Twitter what you're watching. And we might be talking about that too. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us for... Downton Gabby off season. You can find us on Facebook at Downton Gabby, Twitter at Downton Gabby, and Tumblr, you guessed it, at Downton Gabby. We will see you next month.